This is Lawrence and Bruno. And welcome to Cybersecurity Talks, the interview podcast for cybersecurity professionals and for those who aspire to become one. My name is Laura and with me is my co-host Bruno Weinborg. Together we interview industry experts and explore what it's like to work in the cybersecurity domain. Join us on our journey and listen to our bi-weekly episodes and learn about the latest trends, real-life war stories, and everything you need to know about this fascinating industry. Welcome back to Cybersecurity Talks. During this episode, we spoke with Vincent Berg, the CTO and co-founder of Anvil Secure. His interest for InfoSec started when he was just 15 years old, organizing his own land parties. This is now 18 years ago. Vincent earned his stripes working with some of the biggest tech companies in the world, and some of them are still his clients today. During this episode, we talked about the beginnings of Enfil Secure, why humans are more important than technology, and what it's like to build a company based in Seattle. Vincent Berg, welcome today at uh, the Cybersecurity Talks. We're very excited to have you here. And let's start off with uh, some short questions. What you need to know about me. What meal do you start your day with? What meal do I start my day with? It tends to be a sandwich. Very boring. A sandwich, slice of cheese on it, a bit of butter. Very Dutch. Yeah, very Dutch. Cup of coffee. Android or iOS? Android. What is your favorite phone app? I don't know. WhatsApp, probably. WhatsApp, okay. Um, Work from home, office, or a mix? A mix. Why? Um, well, I, I have a baby, so there's a lot of chaos in my household. So every once in a while, I work a few hours from home. And my office is in a minute away from my apartment. Oh, that's Coincidentally. Great. Well, it's not, coinci- <laughs> not a coincidence. <laughs> Are you a gamer? No. Uh, okay, why? Um, I do not know. I used to play some computer games when I was a kid, but I spent so much time behind the screen that I don't do that much. My wife is more of a gamer than I am. Okay. It's an interesting uh, interesting difference. Uh, oldest appliance in your house? It's probably one of the oldest Lego Mindstorms, the, f- the first version somewhere. That's somewhere laying around. Okay. Um, laptop, desktop, server, or VM? <laughs> uh, server. Guilty pleasure? Drinking illicit booze made from Romania. Brought to me by from Romania. (laughs) (laughs) What are we talking about? No, so my wife is originally from Romania. Uh, We met in the Netherlands. She was already living here. And uh, in Romania, they make something called Suica. Um, It's a plum-based liquor. It's very strong. It gets you through winter. You're sitting on top of a mountain in Romania. Life isn't very great. This is what you drink. And my uh, parents-in-law were just in Amsterdam like a week ago to visit their granddaughter. And uh, they brought me another two liters, so I probably should have brought something. I'm sorry, it's Friday. Oh, no, that, that's, that's fine. Maybe for next time. Uh, <laughs> We're pla- recording on Friday morning, yeah. Yeah. by the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Indeed. Um, it's almost weekend. Uh, what's the first uh, uh, thing that comes to mind when I mention cybersecurity? My career? I, I don't know. Cyber, cybersecurity? I, I don't, I'm not a big fan of the term cyber. I hate it, right? Um, Security in that sense, then? Uh, security, information security, infosec, those are terms I tend to use. Okay. And it's because cyber, it's like cyber, yeah, I don't know. I'm not a big fan. What is, what is the password to your email? <laughs> I don't even know my password. I have a password manager. Oh, very well. Nice try. Very secure. <laughs> the beginnings. Vincent, we're super excited to have you. Thanks uh, for joining the show. Uh, we also met earlier during one of the meetup events. 
I think you're one of the best pen test professionals in the Netherlands and also the co-founder of the successful InfoSec scale-up Envil Secure. And you recently became a father. Congratulations. Thank you. How do you juggle between all these different responsibilities? Um, I, I don't know. By not sleeping as much as I would like, probably. Uh, yeah, there's a lot going on, but it's it's also fun. I don't like sitting still either. Yeah. I mean, I like sitting still to read a book, but like, there's always something going on in my life, so... And, and Vincent, you're a very tall guy, so uh, I would be scared if I run into you in the elevator. But what would you say during an elevator pitch about Secure? What what kind of services do you provide your uh, customers, mm-hmm. and who are your customers right now? Okay, well, um, I'm I'm Vincent. I'm the CTO of Enfosecure, and um, we're a small boutique information security firm that helps some of the largest technology firms on the planet with improving their the security of their products, whether that is software, hardware, uh, firmware, everything in between. And we have some of the smartest um, hacker security professionals on the planet working for us. We're hackers for hire, but we're on the good side. So <laughs> we help you make your products uh, and offerings more secure. And, and how is Secure now built up? What's the company like in size and uh, locations? I think you guys are so uh, across have, the globe. Yes, uh, we are. Uh, uh, yeah, we're, we're pretty spread out. So uh, we've got two offices, uh, a small office in Amsterdam headquarters is in Seattle. Uh, a good chunk of our people are based in Seattle. Uh, we have some people all over the States, uh, uh, several great engineers in Argentina and several in Europe, uh, two in Amsterdam, one in Paris and one in Spain. Um, that's always quite difficult to juggle uh, from a like, I don't know, company management perspective. Uh, our CFO hates it because he needs to be aware of all the rules everywhere and all of that. Um, but uh, we make it work. And it's also, it shows something, right? We, we could say, like, we're only one geographical location. Everyone has to come into the office. We're not that type of firm. And we want the right people. So if you're a fit, it doesn't really matter where you are, right? Yeah. Um, and I think you're uh, quite a low profile in the cybersecurity market. Is this is that the deliberate choice? I think some things don't really fit my personality. So you have... Um, from the moment I started coming into professional infosec and all of that, you always had the people that their dream was to stand on stage at Black Hat or to make a name for themselves with doing really fancy research or whatever. And that has never really been me. I've done some pretty cool things from a technical perspective. I've worked with amazing people, some very well-known names over the years. Um, I've never really had an insane drive to put myself out there, maybe because to scare to do that, to make mistakes, to... I'm not someone that really puts himself out on the forefront. I talk a lot, but I don't, I don't, I don't, I have less of that standard American attitude, like, look at me, here I am, I'm on stage, I'm the best hacker in the world, that type of stuff. No, I don't. So a podcast feels safe? Uh, relatively safe. <laughs> <laughs> well, then you're in for a ride. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Let's start the show. Uh, no, but before we jump into it, uh, could you explain a bit uh, about your background? Can you walk us through your uh, impressive career so far? Sure. So, well, where should I start? Should I start? Well, so I started messing with computers from, I don't know, the age of 12 or so when my dad was like, okay, I think this computer business is going to go somewhere. And he bought a 486 SX and I started messing with that. So that was an Microsoft DOS machine. And then someone, I played volleyball at the time, someone told me, hey, um, if you know how to program and uh, with quick basic, you can learn how to make your own computer games. So that was when I actually played some games. Um, so I was like 
13 maybe. So I started learning about that and then we got the internet and then I started going online. And very quickly I gravitated towards security people, right? So, and we're talking late 90s. So, um, and you had all these forums and news groups and all of that. And then you had a bunch of people that all bonded together on IRC channels and started swapping technical tips, tricks, exploits, bugs, you name it. What are IRC channels? Um, internet relay channel. Um, it does still uh, still exist? It does still exist. It's for the young kids nowadays. Uh, it's what you guys call Slack, but then it doesn't have fancy uh, uh, GIFs and uh, animations and any of that stuff. Um, just text-based. Very simple. Um, yeah, that's how people lived through the 90s. Okay. So, yeah. And that was during your teenager Yeah, so during my teenage years. So I learned how to program um, by going online, right? I started coding Python and C. And um, I made a lot of friends, some enemies, <laughs> in, in, in the, the hacker scene that you had at the time. And at the time, there was very little professional infosec. So um, I remember one of the first professional firms was Loft in the U.S., um, and uh, it, that's sort of when it started, like professional infosec. The only thing, you, the only other thing you had at the time was like antivirus companies. That was like a thing, and some people selling firewalls, but nothing else. And since then, it really became an actual industry that does billions. And for good or bad. When you were younger, did you maybe push the boundaries? Did you maybe see what was open at your high school, or did you maybe uh, sure click uh, and point some? No, yeah, but I've been I, <laughs> I've been always been a little bit. As I said, I don't like to put myself on the forefront and uh, standing in front of a judge explaining what you did is putting yourself at the forefront. So I, I do remember. Uh, participating in some of these things or doing some of these things myself. And at the moment I turned 18 that for most of most of that it was over because it was kind of done. And I was like, yeah, I get tried as an adult now. Probably not the best idea. Um, but again, it was a very different time, right? It, it was very, it was a whole lot innocent. And a lot of people that I know or I'm still semi-regularly in touch with from those days, pretty much everyone ended up having a very successful career, either in InfoSec or in IT tech. It, it, at the time, it was more intellectual curiosity, right? No one did anything for money. That wasn't a thing. It's very interesting already as a teenager starting uh, mm -hmm. this journey. Fair. Then you had to decide upon a study. What, what did you go for? Uh, I went and uh, went to Twente. Uh, so I grew up close to Zwolle and then went to Twente and today because it was relatively close by, um, safe. And I studied computer science because I didn't know what else to do. Um, in hindsight, I probably should have done something else. But And... Um, yeah, I showed up there and I already knew how to program and all of that. So the first year of my studies were, there were I struggled with, say, the math subjects and all of that, calculus and, and that type of stuff. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I still did some security work. I, I struggled a bit with studies, tried to figure out who I was, what I wanted, that, like a lot of people. Right? That quarter-life crisis people talk about, something like that. Um, and at some point through... Uh, a student buddy of mine, um, I got a job, at the, first a little side job at a startup in Enschede. company is still around, called Novulo. Um, and at the time it was called something different. But the, the company made very boring business software. And I mean it in the nicest way possible. It's just business software that helps small, medium-sized businesses doing their thing, administration type stuff. And we developed all these frameworks and we invented a lot of stuff from scratch, right? And... Um, that was a lot of fun. So that was like, uh, and at some point I worked there also full time, I think for two years or so. 
Um, but I was kind of done there. I was like, ah, this is not going to be it. Maybe I should go study again. Um, so I tried for a while part-time uh, master in philosophy of science, technology, and society. Wow. Stopped doing that because it was too much combining it with work. But I really liked that. I've always had a bit broader interest than just tech. And then um, worked again full-time for a year. And then I went back and did a master in computer security. And I was working for this, this startup. And the startup was going places. Uh, some of my good friends that I'm still very close with to this day, I met there or notes were there. Um, so, th so that was nice. And then, but I was like, eh. And then at some point in the summer, I got a phone call from an old buddy from my from Belgium. And he called me. He's like, uh, dude, wear a man's shirt. Um, can you come to the UK and uh, work for Microsoft? This is a long time ago, so I guess I don't mention my small company. Nobody <laughs> small company. knows it. Yeah. Uh, sure. And, and I was like, and I was terrified. I'm like, dude, I, I don't know if I can do this, man. He's like, well, we're a man short, and we know each other from back in the day in the scene, and we always stayed in touch a bit. And he was working in infosec already for several years, flying all over the world, and I was sort of stuck in Enschede in Twente. And Twente is beautiful. Don't get me wrong, but it's not the most <laughs> exciting place on the planet. Um, so he called me and I'm like, dude, I don't know if I can do this. He's like, well, we have to do a code review of this big product and blah, blah, blah. And I went, how long is it? Well, four weeks. So I took my holiday and went to the UK for four weeks, um, sat in Cheltenham in a hotel. And there was a very tiny Microsoft office there. And that's from there. That's where we did the project. And it went really well. So, um, and then I got offered a job by his employer. And I turned it down because I'm like, I already paid for next year's uh, next year's master degree, which was a master in computer security. I was like, I already paid uh, 1500 bucks or whatever it was, uh, college money. Um, so I went back to study. And then I did that for six more months, did some courses, and I'm like, I, I, I hate this. Some courses were actually interesting, right? Like, it's, it's not like I didn't learn anything, and some things were completely out of my league. Like, I remember having to go to Eindhoven to do cryptography. And I'm like, yeah, there's no way I can pass this. My math skills are nowhere near that good. Um, but I was mostly fed up with this really academic attitude of, of people. And I know it, it serves a purpose. So it's, I'm not trying to rack on academics here. I'm just saying that um, in information security, there were a lot of academics uh, telling me all kinds of things, all kinds of theoretical things, how to build secure software or whatever. And they hadn't touched the compiler in the last 20 years. They spent all their time writing scientific papers and all of that. And again, there is value in all of that. It's just not me. I think I'm a little bit more practical. I can read scientific papers. I can maybe write some academic papers. I don't know. I can do research, all of that. But I've always been a little bit more hands-on, right? More applied. So I got kind of fed up with that. Um, and I'm like, yeah, what am I doing here? And then um, the client basically said, well, we want uh, these two people back. But what's the client, Microsoft? Yeah, this is Microsoft. So they said, we, we want to do a follow-up gig, and we want uh, FinCEN to be part of the team again. So I get a phone call from the States. Um, okay, do you want to do this? Okay, so I, in February or something, I flew out there, did another gig for a couple of weeks, and um, that went well. Um, and uh, the company I was working for um, that basically had the contract with Microsoft, uh, it's called IOActive, so pretty well-known, and they... Uh, they then offered me a job. CEO called me and she said, do you want to work for me like full time? And I said, yeah, I guess I'm done. So I signed a contract, flew back to uh, Enschede, told all my friends at a party. Everyone was like, oh my God, are you moving? He said, no, I'm not moving anywhere. So I kept living in Enschede. And then I did that for, 
I don't know, six years, I think. Humans over technology. And, and can you take us back to those days that you took on the, the international job? So you're a young guy, a freak of nature, super tall guy, going to the U.S. by himself. What <laughs> yeah. was that like? <laughs> so, um, yeah, so first I did a few projects in, um, in Europe, right? So that was always, but still, I, I've never been to the U.K., so flying there, and, and that was kind of fun. And then we were at a conference in Berlin, and then one of my coworkers that I was supposed to go down to a client in Germany with, um, uh, he fell ill. So, um, and instead of being a one week, two person gig, they changed it into like a two person or a two week, one person gig. And uh, they sent me out there. And this was, I think my third project as a consultant. And I was terrified because it was a brand new client, really big, well-known name in Germany. It's like, I don't know how to, like, what, what if they only speak German? My German is not that great. <laughs> um, and they sent me out there, right? And I think that was the first time that I realized, okay, I can actually do this. Like, because I'm not with my buddy anymore. Like the first two, three times I was with my buddy, like I, he sort of protected me. It's like, he knew how everything went. He did, this is how you do a phone call with a client. This is how you, um, and I could just focus on say, doing the code review, the pen testing, all of that stuff. And now I couldn't hide behind anyone, right? And I had the company, but um, at the time there was, they didn't have anyone else in Europe. I think it was two people. One of whom was ill back home in Belgium and me. So uh, it's not like I had someone in my time zone to back me up. So they sent me out there to the client and there's all these scary, angry German engineers there. And I'm like, I'm walking in there and I'm like, I'm like, I'm like in my mid, how old was I? I don't know, late 20s, 27, 28 or something. Yeah. And I walk in there and it's like, oh my God, these people pay a lot of money for my time. And now I, I have to know everything, right? What if I'm, I'm wrong? And I started working with some of them, and uh, a lot of them were surprisingly nice. And um, I did end up the product that a specific product that I was looking at. I completely hacked it to pieces, right? And that's what I remember. I did a code review and a complex Java stack and a, a JavaScript on top of it, and I broke out several sandboxes. Completely owned everything. And um, I had to do a demo of that, um, so I did a live demo. And I remember being on the phone with the people. Well, I was in Germany on site, and then we were on the phone with some developers in, um, I think, San Jose, uh, California. And uh, I remember it being silent on the phone after I was done with my demo. Like at the end, you have like the little root shell, like, and then it was like, uh, wow, uh, we're in trouble, aren't we? I was like, no, 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 you're fine. You just have to do these and these things and read my report. And that was sort of when it sort of clicked, like, okay, maybe I can actually do this. I did this on my own. Maybe I, maybe I can do this. Maybe um, you needed that push, the confirmation that, that uh, you can do this. Maybe, but I do. I, I also firmly believe you also always need to be, not always, but sometimes need to be put in, in uncomfortable positions. Otherwise, you get complacent and you won't improve yourself, right? But it, it, it probably was the, 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 it was the start of that realization, okay, maybe I can do this. Maybe I can go somewhere. Maybe I can make this, turn this job into something of a success. Because I was still scared, right? I don't know. Everyone in the U.S., I've never been to the U.S. All these people, they talk. There's a lot of people that I know from the internet that have a big reputation. Some of them are now my coworkers. Like, you want to prove yourself. I think everyone has that, right? And are there other breakthrough moments in your career that you felt like, okay, this was very challenging, not knowing how to proceed, but did you turn it into a great success? Um, yes. I, several... Um, but I'm not sure which ones are really interesting to talk about, right? Like, um, 
what I realized relatively early on is, so you grow up as um, a being this geek and this nerd that talks to his friends and you have all these technical debates, right? It's always very black and white. It's like Linux is better than FreeBSD and everyone who uses Windows sucks and, and uh, or whatever is the deb debate all the time. And it's the same with the introducing questions, right? Android or iOS and then people argue about this endlessly. And, and, and you do that a lot, um, and especially in those days, right? Oh, you should use this, this Linux distro or this is better or this, this really sucks security-wise. And it took me a really long time to realize that a lot of that is just a complete waste of energy. I mean, not completely. You still have to evaluate things on a technical merit. Um, um, and it is sort of important. But at the end of the day, the technology is about humans, right? So, and being a consultant, so I'm not talking about people that work at a big firm and that just get to spend all their time on technology, short of the company's bureaucracy, right? As a consultant, um, what is even more important than understanding the tech and being able to command the tech to do what it is you want or to explain it is, is being able to communicate to humans, right? At the end of the day, that, that's what matters. I can pound with my fist on the table and, and scream. I say, this is a really bad bug in your code and you need to fix this right now. But if I can't bring this to uh, a developer's attention in the right way because I pissed them off, or I cannot make the argument to his manager that they need to invest more money into um, improving the quality of their code or whatever, yeah. um, then I've lost, right? Then And then none of it makes any sense. And um, so I think those communication skills are, are, in a lot of cases, pretty important. And the, one thing that I always say, the difference between being a hacker and a consultant, right? Like we have... Um, there's overlap there. There's great hackers that can also be great consultants, right? They do have the communication skills. There's also great hackers that I wouldn't put in front of a client ever at all, right? I would let them do their own thing, um, and they're brilliant. Don't get me wrong. Way more brilliant than I am with technical stuff, whatnot. But then I need someone else to massage whatever it is that they did and to make sure that that's palatable towards, uh, yeah. like, an actual manager, a company, uh, you name it, right? Yeah. Something that can be consumed publicly. This is Anvil Secure. Can you elaborate on Anvil Secure? What are you guys doing? And uh, also, what's your role as a CTO? So Anvil Secure started uh, almost five years ago, officially. Uh, so that is, what, February 2017. Um, and it was me and my best buddy from my time in the U.S. Uh, sitting down. And I think I flew to... If I'm not mistaken, I flew to Mexico for a short holiday, and then we flew to Seattle, where I lived for several years. And we met, we met up, and we sat down at his kitchen table. And we're like, okay, are we going to do this? Um, and he had the plans for a while, right? So in that sense, it came from him. The initial name came from him. Um, what gap did you guys identify, or what? What was the initial idea to start your own business? I, I don't think we identified a gap because uh, uh, what. So in, in, in the sense that there's a lot of other companies that do what we do or try to do what we do, but we identified a lot of frustrations with how some of these companies are being run, right? So um, a big problem, especially in the U.S., is that it's really hard to run a security consulting firm um, when you're in a city where there's Amazon, Microsoft, Google has offices there, Apple there. There's a lot of the market for talent, good cybersecurity talent. Um, um, yeah, it's, it's booming and it's a, uh, it's a seller's market, right? So um, it's, it's hard. How do you keep your employees interested? How do you keep them to stay at your place? Because no one can find security yeah. talent, it, or it's really hard. 
So, um, and uh, there were a lot of people that I worked with over the years that worked at different firms or that I directly worked with together and that either had frustration at their firms. And we think that we run a more um, open, professional uh, company. But those those details are pretty, you see that more as an employee. Um, I also do think you see that in, in our retention rates, right? We, we barely lost anyone. We just keep growing and people really like working. And what's Anthem. the difference then between you and a and a Google or an Amazon? <laughs> well, well, scale obviously, right? <laughs> I mean, there's, it's not like there's there's much uh, uh, <laughs> there's no secretaries, there's no uh, um, like if you want to talk to the CTO or CEO, he's right there. Go ping him on Teams. It's fine. You have his phone number, right? Um, and people do that all the time. There's no like, oh, you need to go through all these barriers too. Um, and there's a lot of transparency, right? Yeah. But you do work with some of those clients, if I'm not mistaken. We do work with some really big tech firms, correct? Um, and, and that's kind of surprising to some people. Um, but I think that is based on the reputation of the people that we've had. We've had we have a lot of people that have a decade, two decades uh, or more experience in cybersecurity in the infosec industry. And then you work at all these different firms, you make all these contacts, and people move on. They go from uh, that firm to another firm or whatever. And then they go, you know what? I always I always like working with Vincent. And I'm sure there's people that don't, right? I mean, but there will be people that have that. And then they go, like, oh, where's Vincent now? They check LinkedIn. Oh, he's now at this firm. Okay, looks like he's still doing consulting. Let me send him an email. Let's see what, what happens, right? Um, or we end up finding a new client, and then the client... Uh, um, like also has people moving on to somewhere else and then they come back. So they bring us to their new employer. Because a lot of people in security, um, uh, the people that work tend to work for the tech firms, uh, they move around a lot, especially in the US, right? I mean, average tenure for a lot of people is like two, three years, something okay. like that. Yeah. Like if you can get the chance to get more money somewhere else, you're, you're done. you know your employer doesn't really care about you. You're like a cog in the in the machine. Yeah. So you move on. So, so you're you're sitting down with your your buddy in in Mexico, and and you decide to start maybe your own business in in Seattle in a very competitive market. Mm-hmm. What service did you want to provide to these customers? Um, I don't know how we ever wrote it down. High end information security consulting, uh, boutique security consulting. Like there's there are security consulting firms uh, that have 500 or a thousand employees, right? Um, and I'm sure on some levels we can say, like, oh, that's the dream. That's where we want to get, right? And we'll be rich and I ride off into the sunset. That has never been a goal, right? The, the, goal, the goal was to build a company that we can be proud of, um, that has a set of core values that we really can stand behind, and to do just cool work, right? If you get, if we, if we ask some of the engineers, like, okay, what... What is a dream client, right? And this is not a client of ours, so I can say this. Tesla would be a dream client. Why? I mean, Tesla is hip. There's a lot of cool tech there, right? We would love, we would love. Elon, if you're listening, please send us a car. <laughs> shout out. <laughs> exactly, shout out. Um, we would love to get the opportunity there um, um, to work on something like that. So we have a lot of people that are still very passionate about technology while realizing that at the end of the day, it's also about relationships and humans and all of that. But... Um, that for me is also the kick, right? Seeing some things pre-released or knowing that I helped turn on a few little screws or make things a little bit better on these platforms that literally touch the lives of billions of people, literally. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. But were you that confident that just the two of you at that kitchen table could play in that league? 
Um, yeah, for the simple reason that we we've already done that for a long time, right? So so um, the, what we were not confident about is could we convince some of these people on Bigly to go with us versus the established names, our direct competitors, right? That, that was that was the big unknown. We didn't we didn't know. Especially if you're such a young organization. Yeah, I mean, it, and, and and there were same as with some some people that now work for us. Uh, some of them took a while before they were convinced. Like, okay, they can actually pull it off, or maybe it, it actually starts going somewhere. Before that, no one wanted to jump ship, and it makes sense, right? If you have a mortgage, or you have a wife or a kid, you're not immediately going to jump to this unproven company that two people registered. And I say, like, yeah, we're really cool. Look, we have a website. Uh, do you have clients? No, but I'm sure we'll find some, right? Yeah. It's, <laughs> yeah. that, it's a leap of faith for you and the professional end. Exactly. And, yeah. it's, and it's also like, and, and the bigger, the biggest leaps of faith were made by the first few employees. And those were all people that we worked with. They came from different firms. That felt as a really big responsibility for me and for Chris as well, CEO. Yeah. Just simply put, like, okay, they, they make a jump. Like, we really want to make this a cool place to work. We have to uh, we have to do what we promised them, right? And that was running an open, transparent company. Um, giving everyone a stake in the future and success of the company, right? And to do that, we do have options. Do you mean, options. like, shares? Uh, yeah, there's with options yeah. and shares, right? Uh, um, if you leave or if you were to leave, then... Uh, you can exercise your options and you can then sell your shares. Um, if the company would ever get sold, um, then, uh, yeah, you, everyone would have a piece of the pie. And, and depending how long you've been there, that piece of the pie will be bigger. And, yeah, the earliest people, of course, they have a bigger piece. That's, yeah, that's and, fair. Yeah. Yeah. And this is in the consulting, not something you see that often, right? It tends to be, um, you have a book from Meister, I think, uh, the professional service firm. Um, where they talk, in, in that sense, we're sort of sim- somewhat similar, right? We might work with more sexy tech, but at the end of the day, we're a professional services firm. We deliver professional services to our clients. What are other professional service firms? Law firms, notaries, accountants, right? And a lot of these firms, you have a bunch of partners. The partners run the, uh, run the firm. At the end of the year, they look how much money did we make. We give a ton of it to ourselves, right? I mean, and like I'm a partner at this firm, right? Chris is a partner. Um we're very differently run. We have a lot of people that really, we try to get everything out of the way so that they can focus on technical work. That's what they like doing. They don't want to do management stuff, putting signatures on a piece of paper, right? I, I do stuff like, oh, I have to cycle through the rain to the Amsterdam courthouse to get some documents notarized. Like, that, that, like a lot of people are not willing, like, they're like, I don't want to do that. But we had a discussion before. I think you're not the, the, the best paid person. Some of your engineers might even make a bigger buck than you do. Yeah, yeah, you make a good deal that is fair for each and every one, right? And I, I also think it's, uh, like, at the end of the day, everyone goes to work for money, right? I mean, that's why you're there, right? But for a lot of people, if if you provide them an engaging place to work and they're happy with the salary, right, and they can do in their private life what they want to do and they have cool coworkers and a cool job and it's not too stressful or whatever, um, um, that's how you make the argument, right? Because I know I can't compete with, or we as a firm can't compete with what the salaries that say uh, Seattle, uh, like a Google or an Amazon or whoever else is there, what they could potentially offer, right? And and don't mention the, the stock and all of that. Yeah. So if we can't compete with that, um, yeah, then you try to make a deal that's fair 
and we have made we have salary bans and all of that that's published and I also live in a cheaper place it's it's also even that if I would move to Seattle I would immediately get a salary bump but <laughs> yeah, because it's it, everything yeah. is more expensive there yeah. right so it, it's also that right if you live somewhere way cheaper yeah but it's super cool if, if you look uh, when you started the, the firm where you guys are now but you came from more technical background yes being the, 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 the technical the pen tester yourself mm-hmm. Now you're a CTO, you're probably more managing people, you're responsible for people's lives. How does that feel? Uh, well, not, not completely responsible for their lives, for their work lives, <laughs> let me be clear. <laughs> like everything else, they still have That's to do uh, probably one third of yeah, somebody exactly. uh, stay. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Um, Yeah, so that that's sort of an adjustment I'm still going through, right? Um, I still do engagements. I still work directly with clients. I still write technical reports. I actually do code reviews or whatever. I also still really like doing that. But as we get bigger, I have to do more and more of the actual executive stuff, right? So, um, and it, that's really exciting, right? We were talking earlier about being challenged. Um, I mean, it's an immense tra- challenge. I don't know if I can do it. I don't know. Um, um, right now, I think things are going well. Um, and I'm relatively successful. But so what if we grow to 50 people or 80, right? I don't know if that's even feasible. Let's say we're 80 people. Being a CTO for a firm of 80 people is very different. That means that there's no more cycles for me whatsoever to do any technical work. I still like doing that, too. I still like I like to think I'm still, still good at it, too, right? <laughs> I have to keep up also. You have to keep up. So... Um, Maybe that means that I would not be the right person anymore, or maybe I can grow into that role, and I really will not. Will slowly, on some levels, lose some of the technical uh, yeah. skills. Because what's the future of the company? Is there still a problem you guys want to solve? No, there's not directly a problem that we want to solve. We want to grow in different uh, directions. I see us uh, maybe build up several different service lines, right, as we grow. Um, Right now, we're really focused on on growing the hardware side of things. Um, and as I mentioned, we work with several of the hyperscalers. Uh, so that is that is just a ton of fun, right? You get to see the core technology. Um, For some people that don't know hyperscalers. Uh, hypersca- hyperscalers are all the big cloud providers, basically. So uh, an Azure, uh, Google Cloud, AWS. Um, The, the people that achieve a certain skill in terms of computing and amount of data centers and connectivity that no one really can replicate. Um, and why a lot of people just outsource this, right? Um, you don't need an insane amount of capital expenditures nowadays to start a company. You just start with a credit card, monthly fees, you hire servers or rent servers. Um, and then maybe at some point you will bring stuff in-house because it gets cheaper again or you didn't have your own service or you have this hybrid solution or whatever. I think that's where most people will end up. But I really liked it because there's a ton of security challenges there. Um, everyone is moving to the cloud, is on the cloud. Everyone is doing things there. And it, like if, say, if you're an IoT device manufacturer, so we do that type of stuff too, right? You make some... I don't know, a fridge that has to talk to the cloud for whatever reason, to sync your shopping list, that type of stuff. These type of people tend to be good at making fridges, right? And then they hire this other consulting firm that that gives that does like a design for a little user interface. They hire, they buy a bunch of chips and baseboards uh, from some designer in China or whatever. They integrate all of this stuff. These are not the type of people that are then also have the skills and knowledge to securely set up a data center and keep all this data great, right? Yeah. So... It makes way more sense for them to go, well, we outsource all of that, right? We, 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 we run on Azure, and Azure has specific IoT platforms, and we integrate on top of that, and we can focus on making a fridge that's internet-enabled. 
right? Um, Security-wise, that's probably out of the box a whole lot better than they could do on their own because you get to leverage the knowledge of all the Microsoft employees. Uh, they have an insane cybersecurity budget. Um, then you have a ton of other people looking at Microsoft offerings on this. Um, and they screw up, sure, but it's tiny companies. You can't you can't achieve that skill. And, and, and I'm sure you can find some companies where the technical people are so good that they can do everything themselves. But in most cases, you'll probably be too arrogant and you will probably screw up. Yeah. And you, do you see a big future for Anvil in that direction? Um, yeah. I mean, we do we do a lot in that direction and we're growing there and, and we'd love to do more. Um, again, the moment something becomes super commoditized, say the, your standard network pen testing, um, it's not like we're not interested. It, it's just it doesn't really get our engineers too excited. Right. And we already we also have clients where we do some more road work or whatever. And that's fine. Right. But but everyone is still there for the cherries on the pie. Everyone is still there for those those Teslas. Right. Everyone wants to do those cool gigs for those cool clients or whatever. And then you suck up doing some more boring work for a while until you get to do those clients. I do the same thing. Right. I'm also so doing some like I'm like, yeah, I did some of this stuff 10 years ago. This is not too exciting. Right. But it's amazing that you do the things you love really on the top of the pyramid, I would say. Um, yeah, I guess. <laughs> yeah. 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 yeah, but that's also how you attract uh, probably the best people in the industry. So that's uh... Uh, yeah, we t- we try, right? And it's um, and and don't forget some of that slightly less interesting work. Uh, um, and interesting in the sense of you're super highly technical. You always want to work on the newest of the newest or the hardest to hack or the most complex, or whatever. Um, those, those slightly less interesting gigs. I mean, that's what what we built the company on top of, right? There's no external capital in the company. There's no investors or anything, right? It was just me and Chris not paying each other, uh, <laughs> paying ourselves, going for a while, trying to get some gigs and then slowly getting it rolling. And oh, now we can hire someone. Or if we win this gig, we can hire someone based on that gig. And then yeah. after all, we were finally able to pay uh, ourselves a salary. Um, and we did that with some of that work being boring. And slowly we're now getting... More and more exciting gigs, yeah. and exciting clients, and it's amazing if we we've done it in four and a half years. Yeah, it's amazing journey. Yeah. Well done. Talent over certifications. And you don't care about uh, maybe educational background? Do you look into certifications? That's a question we get a lot. So uh, we do look at certifications. We we never really require it, right? Um, the certifications do help, right? Some of our clients mandate it. Um, it's because it's so hard to evaluate for our clients, our clients or anyone uh, retaining cybersecurity services, um, how do you evaluate if someone is any good? You have no clue. Yeah, everyone can say, oh, I'll do a pen test. Okay, but I don't know. I'm hiring you for your technical expertise. How do you know that you're a good pen tester? Well, that's why all these certifications came into be, right? You have to crest in the UK and all kinds of stuff. Um, so... If someone comes with certifications on their resume, um, I wouldn't, I think it's a plus, a little plus. It's a tiny plus. Um, mostly because I'm not too much a fan of the certification process. I know how much is being cheated there and, and all of that. There's all kinds of stuff going on. Um, and it tends to be checkboxing stuff, right? Okay, yeah, yeah you know, you can jump, jump through a few hoops. That's what you've proven to me with it. However, if you don't have certain skills yet going through the course and, and seriously studying for something i mean it it, it does give you that jump up that, that proof of like hey I, I i can do a certain thing yeah are there any certifications you 
recommend maybe OCP if you look at the offensive side? I, I don't directly have any. I mean, there's first of all, there, there are too many. <laughs> I think. What do you uh, have? <laughs> I don't have any. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> so, no, but it, it, no formal certain... application. <laughs> no, no. Well, I mean, I do have a bachelor degree, but uh, no. Uh, uh, yeah, I, I don't have any formal uh, uh, certifications, and and that's not. It never was too necessary, so I never bothered. Yeah, our clients don't ask for it. Um, but say if, if we talk, if I talk with a junior engineer, right, or uh, someone who's and they're doing a bunch of engagements for us, and, and it's really hard to also find the time and energy, as busy as we are, and uh, as much as Anvil has grown, to give people the proper amount of time to actually reach the next level or research other things or or get better at doing something, right? Become a better web pen tester, whatever. So um, uh, then you go like, okay, maybe it makes sense to do a certification, right? So yeah. that we have a we have a training budget for everyone. We can like we can do, and then of course uh, we the training budget also for going to conferences and all of that. My greatest hack. I can imagine that the, you're a Dutch guy uh, going on uh, these tours in the U.S. Yeah. Maybe that's not really your style, but is there one particular hack that you would find very cool to share from a, a showbiz perspective? <laughs> well, so so I think my, most of my coolest hacks I never really did as from a research perspective. Well, there's two things maybe. So one thing that I'm proud of, I, I never did much public research, uh, time, all kinds of reasons. But one thing that I did, uh, which was a, sort of a silly proof of concept in I think 2010, 2011, so a while ago now, um, I got this, I, I was dealing with a client and the client, um, this was in the UK and the client was making uh, smart meters. Um, and I wasn't the hardware guy, I still am not, but um, I know my way around. But at some point I was talking with him about traffic analysis and he didn't understand what that entails. And traffic analysis is sort of very simply put, like, hey, we cannot break the crypto. I can just look at things like timing information, who communicates with what and where, and how big are the messages going back and forth. Based on that, you can sometimes deduce certain things. Um, and, and to give an example of that, um, early in my career, uh, we found an issue there where you had like uh, those little drop downs you can type, right? And this was for medical application. So if you type HIV, right, it would like slowly fill it out, but because the packet sizes and I could rebuild the tree, I could not break the crypto. I'm not that smart. I cannot break the, the, the SSL encryption or whatnot. But I could figure out still what someone was typing in there in that medical application, which, of course, is immediately privacy sensitive, right? That's a big thing. I, I should not be able to figure out what it is that this person is searching for. So I, I took it as a concept, and then the client didn't understand it. And talking about defining moments in my career, maybe this is, this is one. Um, I talked with the client. And I'm like, I need a better example. I need an example that everyone understands. So I made this very contrived, and I'll readily admit it's contrived, but readily uh, a proof of concept where I took Google Maps. I said, here's Google Maps. Google Maps runs over SSL. Like, there's a little lock in your browser. You can't break it, right? Google Maps. And I'm going to build up a little database of all the squares. And everyone knows if you're on a slow connection, Google Maps, if you zoom in or you zoom out, you see these little squares slowly being loaded. So I basically, I scraped all these squares from several cities, like Amsterdam, Paris, Brooklyn, a few other ones, right? And then I made this little tool. The only thing it did, and really crappily, because I'm not a machine learning guy, whatever, it was really crappy code. It was 2010 or something, 2011. I made this proof of concept that basically, just by figuring out by the, the sizes, what it is that you were looking at on Google Maps. And you can find this video on YouTube. Right? Um, 
so that, that immediately makes it apparent. I, 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 I can point this video to someone. I show it to someone and go like, look, here I'm breaking. I'm not breaking the crypto. I'm not that smart, right? I'm only uh, analyzing what's going over the wire back and forth. And I can still figure out the fact that you click there and zoom in twice and figure, hey, you're looking at Paris. These coordinates gave you latitude, longitude coordinates. Um, so I did that. And of course, that helped the client. So, oh, okay, now I really get it, right? Um, and that I, I even flew to Australia for that, for Ruxcon, to give a talk about it. It was a short talk. I wasn't very happy. I'm, I'm still not a great speaker. Um, never did it much since here and there. But um, And it got released. I remember it being on the front page of Slashdot. This was for the old kids or for the younger kids here. That was what Reddit now is or whatever or yeah, Hacker yeah. News or something. Slashdot, still out there. And uh, Bruce Snyder on his blog posted it. So that's my claim to fame that Bruce Snyder once once posted yeah, something amazing. about something I put out there. <laughs> but I can imagine that's very sensitive indeed, that uh, you can follow what people are doing on Google Map in a way. Sure, but it, but it was a contrived example in the sense of you can never ever, first of all, scrape everything. Uh, the, all those images from Google, first of all, Google will ban you. And second of all, it's we're talking petabytes of information. And second of all, then you will have too many false positives, right? There's too much data in there, and you cannot get that much data out of the, these packet sizes. At some point, you just it, it will stop working. So that's what I meant with it being a contrived example, but at least an example that everyone can follow. Like, yeah. hey, and this, if you this, put this, it in the medical world, it's even uh, no, yeah, and that's more, exactly uh, that's. So <laughs> I've seen this in in uh, not just in in theory in my contrived research example to explain it to people. I've seen it in actual medical software and medical devices and, and also other places, right? So um, this stuff is out there. Yeah, but a very impressive hack. Yeah, yeah it was if nice. If you can call it a hack, yeah. I, yeah, I, I don't know. <laughs> I think, <laughs> I think it is a bit of a hack or at least something somewhat creative. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay, no, the, thank you so much, Vincent. It was really uh, a great pleasure to have thank you. Thank you. And all the best with uh, the further expansion of Enfield Secure and also with the... The family life here yes, in Amsterdam. Maybe, maybe uh, for an expansion Seattle. of the family too. Who knows? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Who knows? All the best and uh, thanks Thank again. You. It was really a great conversation. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Cybersecurity Talks. We hope you've enjoyed this episode with the latest trends, war stories, and exciting career anecdotes. If you enjoyed the show, please review this podcast on your favorite podcast app. Also, could you do me one small favor? Could you please share this podcast with one friend? that you think would like this show just as much as you do, thank you. And for all further information, please go to csrecruitment.nl slash talks and subscribe to this podcast. We will be back with another exciting episode in just two weeks. So see you next time and stay safe.